0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Right after this celebration, we are going to have First Steps with Chris. So if you're new or you've been uh, connecting here at the Jar just for a few weeks, uh, right in the Jar Cafe where you got the donuts and drinks, you can go there. And we would uh, love to be able to share a little bit about what's uh, going on in the life of the Jar. Hear your story. Uh, child care is provided so you can leave your kids up there and we'll have lunch for them and lunch for you as well. Just remember after lunch, go get them. OK, we won't keep them forever. Uh, so if you can do that. So I'll, if you're new, uh, I hope you'll take a chance uh, to uh, join us. Now, this morning, I want to talk about the topic of loneliness and loneliness is kind of a, a weird thing. Uh, If you're like me, I can be in a huge stadium with tens of thousands of people, and yet I can feel all alone. And in the same light, I can be around a whole group of people and there are people around me and I can feel alone or I can even... Since I'm an extrovert, I can like be the life of the party and having everybody, you know, laughing and joking and having a good time. And yet at the same point, I can feel all alone. Twenty three years ago, I was the pastor of a small town little church. I think we have a picture of it in Flora, Indiana. There were more hogs than people uh, in the county. So you could preach to hogs forever. Just not a lot of conversions there. Um, and uh, the first year, though, that I pastored at this church, I didn't know anyone in the community. And Jennifer and I lived separate from one another our first year of marriage. And we only saw each other on weekends. And this church had about 75 people that attended it. But even with all of these people around, I felt totally alone. And yet sometimes God would take, uh, you know, my kind of little skill set in a sermon and I would just have these horrible sermons. I mean, like if you think what today is bad, it could have been worse for you. Okay. But just horrible. And, and God would do something and, and people would come to Christ and lives would be changed and it would be really cool. But After church on each of these times, I would leave from this church. I'd go from the back parking lot and then I would go to this house right here, which was the church, church parsonage. The church owned it and I lived there by myself. And almost every Sunday I'd walk across that parking lot into this house and I would be by myself, even though there were. Uh, People in the church that lived beside me, they lived down the street, they lived around the block. There were only 2,000 people in the entire town. Everybody knew everybody's business, but I felt alone. Then when I would sit in this house, these thoughts would come to mind. No one understands me. Like, no one really genuinely cares about me no no one realizes that i feel lonely in this small town and folks my feelings of loneliness i don't know if they do it for you but my feelings of loneliness they confuse me and many times i'll just ask the question you know like why why am i feeling so lonely can anyone relate to this this story yeah have you ever struggled with loneliness maybe Maybe you're sitting here in this group of people today, and the reality is you feel lonely. Maybe you're a teenager, and you battle this sense of isolation that you're not in the in crowd, and so you feel disconnected. And even though you're on ten social uh, social media sites and everybody, you're trying to keep up with everybody, you feel all alone. Or maybe you're single. And you know the pain of what it feels like to come home and you have to cook a meal for one and then you sit down to the television by yourself and you want to share about your day with somebody else, but no one else is around. Or maybe you're a lonely spouse. Both of you live in the same house, but the communication has just kind of gone south And there's no intimacy anymore in the relationship. And you both just walk around and there's no real connection. And you just kind of go through the marriage motions because you've been doing it for so long. But deep down you feel alone. Maybe you're a lonely widow or widower. And you outlived your spouse and now you're by yourself. And the loneliness is so difficult that it's indescribable. Or maybe you're a person who is a survivor of divorce. And every time your ex comes and they get the kids and they leave for the weekend, it's like the house becomes so quiet and you feel all alone. Or the day during the week when they take them and you're by yourself and it feels so lonely. You know, when God created the heavens and the earth and everything that we see around us, He said all of it was good except one thing. And in Genesis chapter 2, after he creates everything, he says these words. He says it is not good for man to be, what's the word? Alone. Alone. You see, loneliness was the fly in God's perfect ointment of creation that was causing a problem and this is how he handled it he decided that he would double the population from one to two and he created a woman named eve and adam's loneliness ended but what triggered was the greatest argument of all time who's going to hold the remote tonight And that battle's been going on. But seriously, I really want you to understand the importance of our big idea this morning. So much so that I want you to write the whole thing just on the top of your program, or you can do it on your app if you want to. But God looked at the loneliness of the world. He created everything, and everything's good except one thing. And then he looked at all of it, and he realized this, that it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he had a cure. And the cure... For loneliness is community. The cure, I'm not talking about the rock group, okay? The cure for loneliness is community. God designed you and I to be in relationship with one another. We need one another to cure the loneliness problem, which might be the greatest problem that we have as a human race. Now, the good news is, is that... Jesus understood loneliness because he experienced it himself. Jesus experienced every single human emotion that you and I have ever experienced, including loneliness. And the night before he was crucified on the cross, he went to this garden and this giant of loneliness like weighed him down to his knees. And in Matthew chapter 26, we read this. Then Jesus went with them in the olive grove, a garden called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. So Jesus is preparing his mindset because no one else knows. But the next day he's going to be tortured and beaten and finally crucified on a cross for the sins of. Of the world, And as he considers this, he doesn't want to go through this alone, so he brings his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. Peter, the rock. Peter said, I'll never leave you. Jesus, I promise. John, his beloved friend. And then James, a steady presence for Jesus. Verse 38. Jesus became anguished and distressed and told them, my soul is crushed. With grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen. And so he has this anguish. And he has this distress. And his greatest desire is simply that his friends, his three best friends, will stay awake and stay connected to him. So that if he needs them, they'll be right there because he's dealing with so much sadness and loneliness. It's like he's saying, hey guys, I'm lonely right now. I'm dealing with some loneliness. Would you please stay awake? And you know what that's like. When you're battling loneliness, you want some trusted friends around you. Some people who will help you through whatever it is. And this is exactly what Jesus is experiencing. Because he realizes that the cure for loneliness is community. And so he has his friends around him. Verse 39, he went on a little farther and he bowed with his face down to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. The sadness and the loneliness that Jesus felt led him to his heavenly father. Jesus knows that the only person who totally understands his situation and his loneliness is his father. Jesus knew that only him would, would be able to understand his pain. And so Jesus turns to his Father and he says, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Instead of being humiliated, beaten, bloodied, and murdered on a cross, is there any other way, God? God? And he asks this question, he says, but if there's not, I'm willing to obey it. Whatever your will is, God, I will follow it. But God, is there any other way? And his father is silent. And the loneliness kicks in even more. Have you ever been so lonely before that God felt distant? That you weren't even sure if God was around for what you were going through? There have been many times in my life like I felt like God is a million miles away from what's going on in my life. And I felt at times that He doesn't really care. I'm like a pawn in this world, and He moves me around here and there, and there's no one that really understands what I'm going through. He ignores my pain. But I want you to know, when you have those feelings... That's what they are. They're feelings. Have you ever had a feeling before that you thought was so much the truth of something and then later on you found out that was a lie? Like, I feel this way, but that's not the truth. That's not what reality is. Our feelings lie to us all the time. All the time. Oh, man. Woo. I think she's really into me. She hadn't looked at you five times and five times that you've been together. She ain't into you. Ah, oh, man. You know, like, whoo, if I just lift these weights, I'm going to be like a stud like you wouldn't believe. Folks, I've been lifting weights my whole life. Look at this. <laughs> There's no feeling that's going to change that. I'm still not the stud. But... Every time that we have feelings that we're feeling lonely, we can do exactly what Jesus did and go to his heavenly father and he's present. We may not hear an audible voice. We may not see things. But he's present. We don't have to do anything. He's listening. He's always listening to us. And so when we cry out, Lord, I need you, he promises us both through his word And through his life, that he will be present. He will be with us. And the truth is, God is always there. Verse 40. Then Jesus returned. So he's gone. He's praying to his father. He returns to his disciples. And he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? In his greatest sadness, the disciples are snoozing away. They're like taking it easy. They're enjoying some rest. And Jesus, though, what he's starting to feel that will become a reality the next day, he's feeling separation from all of his friends and they eventually all leave. And he's even starting to feel some separation from his father. You see, the disciples were just concerned more about getting Z's than they were staying up with Jesus. And the weight of loneliness, it just took him down to his knees. In Luke, it actually says that he sweat like drops of blood because of the anxiety and loneliness he felt. Well, soon after this, this is what happens. Jesus is in a garden. The Roman officials come with the Jewish leaders and he's arrested. He's arrested and at that point he's beaten, he's whipped, he's hit over the head with a stick... They escort him to a trial that happens in the middle of the night. It's not legal. And they go there and they falsely convict him of a crime to the point of death by crucifixion, which was the worst part of death. And when Jesus finally gets to the cross, the greatest moment of loneliness that this world has ever known takes place. Because it's on the cross that for the very first time since the beginning of all beginnings that God the Father and God the Son become separated. And how did they get separated? Because of our sin. Our sin in that moment, all of our sin, every sin in this gym, every sin in the world, every skeleton in the closet that you've never told anyone. In that moment when Jesus was on the cross, all the sin of the world is placed upon his body. And when it's placed upon his body, Christian theology tells us that when God the Father looked down upon his son... All of this sin, that's all he could see, all of your sin, all of the stuff you've ever done, everything was on him. And God the Father looks down, and God is holy, and he cannot look upon sin. He does not relate to sin. And so the Scripture uh, leads us, and Christian theology leads us to the place where we look, and this is what happens— God the Father is so holy. He looks down upon the sin on His Son and He turns His back from His Son for the very first time. But who's He turning from? He's turning from sin. It's not His Son's sin. His Son never committed a single sin in His life. But it's your sin. It's my sin. It's the sin of all all the world from all times. And because God is holy, He cannot look upon that. You see, since the beginning of time, Jesus actually knew that there was going to be a temporary moment where he would be separated from his father as he took on the sins of the world. And in that moment, all of our sins, all the skeletons in our closet are placed in his arms, on his shoulders. And there's this separation that comes. And Jesus is on the cross and he feels this loneliness, this separation, and he cries out to his Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, why have you turned your back on me? Because this is what Jesus knew. He could take the beatings. He could take the whippings. He could take the nails in his wrists and his ankles. He could take any of the pain that they wanted to give to him, but the thing that he could not take was the spiritual alienation from his father. And he experienced loneliness, folks, like no one has ever experienced in the history of the world. I mean, I can't even imagine the kind of loneliness he felt. And yet the reason he did this is because he wanted every single one of you to never experience true loneliness. That no matter how lonely you ever feel, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is present with you. You are not alone. And he's a forgiving God and a loving God. And he will take care of any sin because he already took it all on the cross and was separated. So, if Jesus battled loneliness, do you think we're going to battle loneliness? Yeah? Sure we are. So, the question becomes then, what causes loneliness? What causes us to feel lonely? Well, the first thing that causes loneliness is transitions. Transitions. Folks, life is one series of transitions. Any major change in your life, there will be a little twinge of loneliness that will come with that. Why? Because every time you have a change, even if it's a positive, a good change, you're getting something new You're also having to give something up. For instance, when our daughter was born, I just thought Jen and I were going to be, you know, dating forever. And then this kid came in the way. I don't want that kid, but I want that kid. I don't want that kid. I want that kid. We've got the kid. And even though it was a really, really good thing, one of the greatest gifts that Jennifer and I have ever received... It changed things. There was transition. And there were times that you felt lonely from the other person because you heard this kid in the middle of the night. Ah! Jen wanted to strangle her, but I said, don't do it, honey. Don't. Don't do it. But there's something that you have to let go. There's something that you lose. And anytime there's a transition, loneliness can hit. For the first 14 years of my life, I lived in Marion, Indiana, which I thought was where Jesus was born. It was a holy Mecca of basketball, and I knew everything, everyone, everything was great in Marion, Indiana. And I got all the way to the eighth grade. I played on the middle school basketball teams. I did all the camps. Uh, I was looking forward to becoming one of the 12 Young men that would be chosen to represent Marion in basketball state championships next because those 12 individuals were treated like gods in Marion. And I was going to be the basketball stud. In fact, when she made the team in Marion, you never you no longer walked like a normal person like this way, but you actually had your own walk. Like this, you know, like you, you had that own walk. And once you had that walk, you never gave it up. You had it for the rest of your life. And I wanted that walk. And so the summer of 1985, I'm looking forward to uh, being a part of this high school and being a part of this team. And my dad comes in and says, hey, I've been praying to God. And I feel like God is calling us to move to Anderson uh, to for me to pastor a new church. And I said, are you praying to the right God? Because I don't. I I don't know what happened here, Dad. But in a moment, folks, my dream died. And although it was only 30 miles away, it felt like a galaxy away. And as I started school, I knew no one. And I had no friends. And I felt all alone. Now, in an effort to try to help with this uh, you know, transition that's taking place, I decided that I would join the football team because I had played quarterback in middle school. And so I thought that'd be great. Now, let me ask you, uh, any of you that have ever played sports before or in any extracurricular activity. If there is someone that's already at the school you're going to that everyone likes and they know, and he was the quarterback back in eighth grade, and you come in, and now all of a sudden you take his job, how much do you think people like the person who took the job? Not much at all. In fact, in the NFL, you know, all these people got drafted this week, and if you're a quarterback, you get a special shirt that no one can touch you. You know the problem that I had? No one gave me this special shirt. Every time, pounding, late hits, down, concussed, like just bad, bad and bad. And so that first semester, and even the football team, was not a good experience. And I felt all alone. And I wondered to myself, why did my dad bring us to this God-forsaken place called Anderson, Indiana? And I felt like I was living on an island, and I was all alone. Folks, loneliness is the real deal, isn't it? And when it cuts, it cuts deep, and it cuts with pain. The poet John Milton called it this. He said, loneliness is the first thing that God named as not good. Billy Graham described loneliness this way. Loneliness is man's greatest problem. And Mother Teresa, look at this. She says, it is easier to fill a hungry stomach than to heal a lonely and empty heart. You just ask anyone who's in the military and they're overseas and they're by themselves, but there's all these guys or all these women around them. But you ask them, where was the loneliest times? They'll tell you it was when I was there. Someone who recently lost their job. Someone who recently went through a divorce. Someone who has had to bury their spouse. A teenager or a college student who all of their friends kind of turn on them. And all of a sudden the peer pressure becomes great and they feel alone. A parent who has a missing child. Folks, any major life change that happens in your life, whatever it is, can cause loneliness. Second thing that causes loneliness is opposition. Opposition. When you are under attack by other people around you, you can fall prey to loneliness. In the Bible, there's a guy by the name of Paul who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest friends. And he, his writings are some of the most uh, powerful and most beautiful literature that has ever been written. But throughout Paul's life, he was constantly being opposed by other people. In fact, some of Paul's opponents hated him so badly that they beat him. They stoned him. One time they stoned him. They think he's dead. They're like he's down for the count. And he gets back up. Multiple times they thought they had killed him for sure, but he came back. Now, at the end of his life, this is what we do. We find this old man Paul in a Roman jail all by himself. He's just about to be executed by Nero, the leader of the Roman government. And all of his friends that he had reached out to, they've all bailed on him, and he's feeling totally alone. And in the midst of his loneliness, Paul writes... Just like you might when you're feeling lonely. You write it out. He writes these these words. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him. Because he strongly opposed our message. I don't know what Alexander did. But it ain't good. And we're not sure exactly what happened, but evidently he opposed him in such a way that he feels attacked and there's this resistance. And maybe he said a a bad word to him or he put down Christianity or something, but Paul is being opposed and he's over it. You know, loneliness often happens after we've been opposed by other people. You ever remember on the playground, everyone's playing, they're all having a good time, the teacher turns their head, and what happens? You find the weakest kid, and everybody starts making fun of them and putting them down. Maybe you were that kid. And you say mean things, you say hurtful things. Now, kids do it all the time, but they do it on social media. And suicide rates have gone up. Astronomically, why? Because of harmful, hurtful, mean words that are going back and forth through social media. Some of you know what it's like to be opposed by somebody in your life. In fact, some of you right now have some people in your life who are opposing you. And it hurts and it's difficult and you feel alone in the midst of the words that they've said to you and about you and to other people. Now, I don't know why it is, but sometimes you'll have people around you when, you know, you're being put down and ripped on by other people and they'll say things like this. Well, just remember, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. I tried to find that, who the author of that was. No one's taken credit for it that I could find. You know why? Because that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That is the most stupidest phrase I've ever heard in my life. Now, some of you right now are like, stupidest isn't a word. Yes, it is. (laughs) Because I just used it. It's just the dumbest thing you could ever think about. Why? Because the phrase is absolutely not true. Names... And words putting you down are far more hurtful and painful than sticks or stones. And you know why I know this? Because sticks and stones can break your bones. But you know what? Your bones eventually heal. It may take days. It may take weeks. It may take months. But eventually they heal. But words... And things that people have opposed themselves against us, sometimes they take years, decades. I've, gone, I've been at deathbeds with people who have told me about what their mother or their father or their sister or their brother or a friend has said. And they went to their grave with that hurt and that pain. Some of you know what it's like to experience that kind of loneliness of other people talking about you or being the last one chosen. Maybe you've heard words from people before. You're too skinny. You're a rail. Man, you are so skinny. You're skin and bones. Oh my gosh, you're a whale. You're so big. Why are you so fat? We're all little elephants here, but you're the biggest of them all. Oh, you're too poor. You're so poor. Oh, you're rich. You're way too rich. Your clothes are not in style. You don't wear your clothes right. Oh, your car. It looks horrible. Oh, you're not in the in crowd. You're not like us. And all of these words, sometimes they stay with us for long periods of time. And what happens is it becomes loneliness. Opposition hits and we feel lonely. You know, even for pastors, every once in a while, I'll get a phone call or I'll get an email from someone of something that I've written or something that I've taught, and they are not happy, and they let me know this. And sometimes it's very tough not to slip into feelings of despair and loneliness. Several years ago, I was at this huge conference where there was a very, very famous pastor, And he said, I'm going to take some Q&A now, but hey, guys, everything stays in here. So I'm not going to tell you who it is, but everything stays in here. And we were talking about dealing with people who have hate mail that they would send to you. And someone asked, do you ever get hate mail? And they said, yeah, all the time. And they said, well, what do you do with it? And he said this. He said, I write them back. Dear Mr. So-and-so, I want to warn you about someone who is doing something dreadful. It's a lunatic. Then they are doing these outrageous emails and they're signing your name to it. (laughs) Folks, no matter who you are, you are going to be criticized. You're going to be opposed by other people. And the temptation will always be to build walls around you or to become like a turtle and to get into your shell and retreat and say, I will never trust anyone anymore. I will never give my heart to anyone again. I will never get close to another person. But let me tell you from experience, folks, that if you do this, your loneliness will only get greater. It will get more and more and more, and you will feel more abandoned. I mean, the temptation is to hide on an island by yourself. Because then, if you hide on the island, no one bothers you, right? But this is the problem, too. When you hide on the island, no one ever knows what you're going through. No doubt about it, opposition can cause loneliness. Next thing. Rejection. Rejection might be the most painful of all that leads to loneliness. When someone has betrayed you, when someone has abandoned you, when someone has deceived you, when someone that you thought would always have your back walks away. Folks, if the truth were known, there are several of you today that are dealing with rejection. Either in a relationship, maybe at the workplace, you're like giving so much of yourself to the workplace and they just never recognize you. They never give you any kind of promotion. You feel rejected. People that you thought would always be in your corner, they've left you high and dry. People that you thought you could count on, now they want nothing to do with you and they've let you down. Maybe you had someone who walked out of your life and you're like, how, am I can, how can I move forward? Maybe it was a friend. Maybe even worse, it was a spouse. Remember the very first story that I was sharing about Jesus being in this garden by himself? And he goes to pray. And just before he's betrayed, he has these friends and he's hoping that they will be there. And the scripture tells us that three times Jesus goes off to pray to his heavenly father. He leaves his three friends by him, by themselves and he comes back to try to get some encouragement from them. And all three times they're asleep. And he feels rejected by his friends. You see, Jesus understands rejection. And he is present when you're being rejected. He sees and he cares and he knows the heartbreak of your heart. He cares about the way that you feel. Folks, you matter to God big time. In fact, every single second of every single day of every day of your life, God is thinking about you. He's constantly wanting to have a part of your life, a part of your heart. If you'll just turn to Him and you pour out yourself. Loneliness, no matter how you slice it, it's painful. But it becomes less painful when you know that there is a one who will not walk away with you. The problem is, is when some of us experience loneliness, we start acting in ways that are very self-defeating to us. For example, some people, when they're feeling lonely, what do they do? They shop. They're like, I'm all alone. I'm by myself. I guess we'll just go out. It'll make me feel better if I shop till I drop. So I'll buy some things. I'll buy my happiness. I'll buy a bigger house, a bigger car, more clothes. Everybody will then see that I have it all together and it will compensate for the way that I really feel about myself. But let me tell you, folks, you can buy anything and everything that you want. And guess what? The loneliness will not go away. Because things can't replace loneliness. Some people try alcohol and drugs. They say, I feel so lonely, I feel so bad. But if I can snort it, smoke it, shoot it, pop it, or drink it, maybe I won't have to feel the way that I feel right now. Some people try to escape with Sex and loneliness. They live a life of just one night stands and bar hopping trying to find somebody. And they say it doesn't matter who the body is as long as there's somebody next to me in the bed tonight. Maybe that will cure the ache and the loneliness that I feel. But the next morning, folks, it happens all the time. You wake up and guess what? Your loneliness is still there But the person isn't. They've moved on. They got what they want. And the loneliness is still present. Most people, when they're experiencing loneliness, if they deal with it in unhealthy ways, what eventually happens is depression and shame. They go into this downward spiral, lower and lower and lower, until finally they get so low that they say, I'll build walls around me to keep everyone away who's hurting me. But all of those things that I just mentioned, materialism, drugs, sex, whatever it is, are not healthy ways to deal with your loneliness. So the question then becomes, how do I cope with it? When loneliness hits my life, how do I cope with loneliness? How do I have a never-give-up attitude when loneliness hits? Well, the first way you do that is you minimize your hurt. You actually minimize your hurt. There's a holiday that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Anybody know what it is? You should have heard the first celebration. No one hardly said anything. You should have seen some of the looks of the moms that were in there. Just in case you didn't know, Mother's Day is coming up in a couple of weeks. You should celebrate your mom. Even if the only thing she did was bring you into this world. And you don't like anything else about her. Thank God for that. So Mother's Day is going to come. then in a few weeks after that... What's the holiday? Memorial Day. Oh, no, no, no. Don't get to Father's Day first. Because you've got to go to a cookout with some family people that you can't stand. But you have to go anyway. So then you have Memorial Day. Then you have Father's Day. And then you have all of these different cookouts during the summer. And what happens is, during those times when family gets together, all of a sudden, the hurt from the past begins to serve us. Why? Because mom all of a sudden says something very, very dumb because she says, it's my day, they have to be nice to me. And they rip you and you're like, I want to kill the woman. And then Memorial Day comes and a brother or sister spouts off something and you can't handle that. And then all of a sudden, you're, on Father's Day, someone says something. And when all that happens, all of this hurt from your past will emerge. And let me just say this. If you rehearse your hurts... Over and over and over again. Guess what's going to happen to your hurt? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger bigger and 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. And you get right in the midst of it. You start saying things and the bitterness comes and all this comes. And bitterness and loneliness kind of have a way of uh, being cyclical together. And all of this starts stirring around. The Bible says this. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us far more exceeding an internal weight of glory. Now, what's that mean? Basically this, whatever people have done to you and they've hurt you, you're going to see these people pretty soon. And whatever you've dealt with, it's just a moment. You don't have to carry that the rest of your life. Every time that you carry hurt and in pain from other people, you get lonely and you carry bitterness. So, how do you cope with it? First of all, you have to minimize it. You know what? It's over. I can't change it. i got to move on. Even though it was wrong, it was a horrible thing. I'm not making light of anything that your family's done. But you don't build a wall around your heart. You just say, I'm going to minimize the hurt. Here's the second way. Recognize God's presence. You actually recognize God's presence. When we are lonely, often the question that we ask is Where is God? Like, where is God in the midst of my loneliness? Well, let me tell you where He's at. He's where He's always been, and that place is right beside you. He is with you, He never walks away. He never decides to give up on you. No matter where you're at, he continues to follow you. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then God is with you all the time. He doesn't walk away. A couple months ago, my youngest daughter, Jordan, came up to me and she said, Dad, you know, I just don't feel God today. I said, I understand that. I said, you know, sometimes I don't feel God either. I said, but let me ask you something, Jordan. Could you just put your hand on where your heart is right now? She said, sure. I said, what do you feel? She goes, oh, I feel my heartbeat. And I said, in the same way, God is as close to you as your heartbeat. He never walks away. And you, some of you might say, oh, that's nice for a little kid to experience. No joke. A few weeks later, someone comes into my office they're lonely they're overwhelmed i use the same exact illustration and the adult says you'll never know what that meant to me to know that god never leaves me in fact his word actually says it in matthew twenty-eight twenty, it says this and be sure of this i am with you always even to the end of the age in hebrews thirteen five, god says this i will never leave you or let you be what's he saying says, I'll never let you be alone. Some of you should cut those out of your program, put them up somewhere. That's the prescription for you this week. And when you're not alone, prayer then becomes that concept that gets us connected to God. It is the antidote for loneliness. You want loneliness to leave. You want an antidote for it. You actually start praying to the one who is above. And all of a sudden it begins to ease up and you know that there's someone there. And if you need to know how to pray... Or you're not sure how, you can look online or go to our resource table and someone can help you. Because 24 hours a day, 365 days a week, for every single year of your life, God is present. He has like this 24 hour drop in service. Drop in anytime you want, I'm present. You need to talk to Him anytime, He's there. I mean, when you call out to Him and you say, God, I'm feeling lonely, I hurt, my heart is splitting, I'm miserable, I feel empty, help me, God. He is right there to meet your need. In fact, there is nowhere you can go that Jesus is not present. You will never be in a place in your life that Christ is not there if you don't, if you will only turn to Him. In fact, 700 years before Jesus was born, there was this guy named Isaiah. He was a pastor and God speaks to him one day and he predicts what's going to happen. And he says this. All right, then the Lord himself will choose the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And all of us together, these last four words, let's say them out loud together. God is with us. God is with us. Emmanuel is not just a Walmart kind of thing that you try to, you know, put up so that people buy more Christmas stuff. It's the real deal. What it means is God is with you always. He never leaves. I'd like to kind of close today by having you listen to a story of a woman in our church named Glenda, who she and her husband Earl heard about the jar and started connecting. And shortly after they had started attending, Earl actually was diagnosed with ALS. And this dreaded, kind of debilitating disease eventually took his life. And now, Glenda was alone. And the loneliness she felt was like something she had never had before. But she had the sense that she recognized God's presence. And then she also had a community around her that would help her to cure the loneliness. So let's look at the side screens at her story.
1: I had seen some of the um, advertisements or commercials on TV. And then my neighbor, Amy Airy, came over one day and told me that she had gone to the JAR and really, really liked it. And so I joined her uh, several times and finally asked Earl to go, because we had been to a church, we had belonged to a church, but it split, and then we never did go back. And I kept telling Earl, we need to find a church and a church family. I think it was late November, December. We were in Florida visiting my parents, and his right shoulder began to twitch. And it was confirmed three times that Earl had ALS. That takes away your muscles. That you, in other words, you become paralyzed. So as his disease got worse and worse, my parents moved in with us. Um, but when they moved out, as, as soon as Earl, as soon as I buried him, we got busy with them, trying to find him a home. And uh, when they did move out, then the loneliness set in and I realized uh, I had never ever lived alone because I married Earl straight out of high school. And um, there were times that I did not want to be at home. Then there were times that's the only place I wanted to be. Um, In all of my life, it was the only time I'd ever been alone. And I, I walked the aisles of Walmart a lot by myself and looked at the other couples and remembered what it was like to be with Earl. And we almost made our 50 years. We were short two years of that. But I always had my church family. They were always there. I joined a small group, Joneses, and they embraced me, and um, I cherished my time with them. Um, I started in Grief Share then, so I learned a lot from Grief Share. I don't think I could have made it without the church, and uh, I've never felt so loved as I did throughout that, that sad journey with Earl and I know <clears throat> that it made his passing easier because he knew I'd be okay. If you ever feel lonely and you feel like this is it, there's no way out, it's never going to get any better, why has God done this to me, then go to scripture, find out that that he loves you. and. And that uh, you're never alone when you belong to the jar, I don't think. I think God's always with you, and His people are. He's good, and His people are good, too.
0: You know what a powerful story of what God did in Glenda's life, too be able to recognize God's presence, and then just kind of our last thing, that what Glenda realized too, that if she wanted to cope with loneliness, that she had to activate friendships here in the jar. That she couldn't just stay on an island or in her shell, but she actually had to activate some friendships because the cure to loneliness really is community. Now, I'd like to close with this statement And uh, it may be kind of offensive, I don't mean it that way, but I need to close with it, and it's this, that loneliness is a choice. You choose to be how lonely you want to be. I mean, we all have moments where things happen in our life and loneliness hits. It wasn't something that Glenda would have wanted, but it hit. But lingering in a house of loneliness is your choice. Because God has given us clear things to help us with loneliness. First, he gave us his son who took on all the weight of our sin so that we would never have to experience true loneliness. He gave us a love letter called the Bible that we can open up and it gives us encouragement. And then he gave us the mystery of The church, the gift of a church, of a jar that is filled with care and love with people around you who want to be able to do life with you. And God gave all of this so that you and I might never experience loneliness. The Bible, one of my favorite scriptures in Ecclesiastes, says this, two are better than one if one falls down. His friend can help him up. But pity the person who falls down and has no one to help them up. Folks, like I said, there are people in rows right down from you right now who want to do life with you, who want to build friendship with you so that you're not alone. I mean, there is so much power in community when it comes together. It's like a a power transfusion of encouragement. That takes place when you do community with other people. So my question is, are you building those kind of friendships today? Are you living that way? Folks, there are so many ways in the jar so that you don't have to do life alone. Every single week. On Mondays, we have grief share. If you're dealing with the grief, the loss of a loved one, be a part of that. On Thursdays, we have Or Celebrate Recovery, if you're dealing with any hurt, habit, or hang-up, don't go through it alone. And then we have small groups that meet all through the week that you can get involved in and be a part of. Men's groups, women's groups, 20-somethings group, groups of married people. The whole reason why the jar exists and why I sense God calling me to, to start it is because... I never wanted to see people who come here to ever stand alone or to ever have to walk alone. But you have to activate the friendships. And you can do that today. You can go online to our app and you can do that. You can go to the resource table and sign up. I know it's a risk. I know it's a risk. I know it's a risk. But for some of you, if you want to get off the island, folks... The cure for loneliness is in community. So I'm going to invite you to stand right now for our closing prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, they would love to pray with you. And as we close in prayer, I was thinking that maybe for some of you, the loneliness you feel is because you don't have a relationship with Christ right now. And so I'd like to lead you, if you're there today, if you're like, man, that's me. I I feel so alone. I need whoever this Jesus is. I I want him in my life that you could say a prayer and receive him today. Get a Bible. They're up here. They're free. You can get it and start a journey. And no one ever prays alone here at the jar. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer and just invite you to pray it after me. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't understand it all, but there's a hole in my heart that I realize only you can fill. I realize that you made me to love me and to have a relationship with you. Today I want to cross the line of faith and establish that relationship. I ask for your forgiveness. I invite you to come into my life. Replace my loneliness with your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to meet me, we'll uh, be in the uh, Jar Cafe. And uh, we'd love to meet you there for First Steps. Otherwise, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.